Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. Each week, we turn to the words of Scripture and our faith for insight and guidance on living the faithful life. Especially during this season of Lent, it's important for us to think about what our faith requires and how we can strengthen our relationship with God. We live in a complex world with many distractions, and it can be hard to find our way. Let's go way back in history to the story of God rescuing the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. When God established his covenant with the children of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness of Sinai, he appeared to Moses and laid out the conditions and the benefits of being God's people. In Exodus 19:1-9, we read, On the third new moon, after the Israelites had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They journeyed from Rephidim, entered the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the Israelites, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. So Moses came, summoned the elders of the people, and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. The people all answered as one, Everything that the Lord has spoken we will do. Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud in order that the people may hear when I speak with you, and so trust you ever after. Here ends the reading. The benefits of being God's people are great. God has promised that he will be their protector and look after them if they will be faithful to him. This is when God literally lays down the law. He sends Moses to the people with the Ten Commandments, whose words are literally written in stone. And as we have just read, the people promise to do whatever God commands of them. This was a promise that they promptly broke. In fact, they broke the very first commandment, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, by constructing a golden calf as an idol to worship. But God's law remained in effect. The Ten Commandments became the heart of an ongoing moral code that to this day is almost universally accepted. Its laws have served as a basis for secular laws and codes as well as a standard for religious communities. They seem based on common sense. But how do we know what is right and wrong? Well, the Ten Commandments is a good place to start. The Israelites added about 600 other rules to live by in their book of the law, the Torah, but in those ten were the core. We were not left on our own 
with no idea of how to behave. God made it pretty clear. Throughout their history, the relationship between Israel and God has been fraught. Even after they had become a great nation under King David, they continued to fall away, break God's commandments, and then bear the consequences by suffering the wrath of God. That wrath often took the form of being subjected to disaster and defeat at the hands of other powerful nations. During those centuries of struggle, God sent them prophets to reinforce the divine expectations. One of those great prophets was Jeremiah. Jeremiah was known for his harsh and condemning words. The word Jeremiah has come to mean a long lament about how we've misbehaved in the sight of God. At one point, God instructs Jeremiah, Declare in Judah and proclaim in Jerusalem and say, Blow the trumpet through the land. Shout aloud and say, Gather together. Let us go into the fortified cities. Raise a standard toward Zion. Flee for safety. Do not delay. For I am bringing evil from the north and great destruction. It seems that the people of Israel are unable to abide by the written laws that had been handed down to them. They're rebellious. So God, through Jeremiah, instructs the people about a new plan. In Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, we read, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and bring them out of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the last of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. Here ends the reading. Now here's the good news about what Jeremiah says. Since the law is written on our hearts, every man, woman, and child, every believer and unbeliever, even though they have no knowledge of the Ten Commandments and the other 600 laws, have sufficient knowledge of what is right and what is wrong written on their hearts, so that their consciences can affirm or accuse them of their actions. Additionally, this means that we are all held accountable for what we do. You've heard the old saying, ignorance of the law is no excuse. Well, we have no excuse because we aren't ignorant of it in the first place. The rules of life, the rules of God, are written on our hearts. We just have to be aware of them and follow them. There's a danger in passages like our reading from Jeremiah, which talk about God establishing a new covenant with his people. Some people take this to mean that the covenant of God established with Israel 
has been replaced, a doctrine called supersessionism. The writer of Hebrews says about Jeremiah, in speaking of a new covenant, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and growing old will soon disappear. This has been called the most dangerous passage for Jews in the New Testament. Supersessionism has been used as a justification of anti-Semitism and that Christianity has replaced Judaism. This is a misuse of Scripture. God never revoked the covenant with Israel. The Ten Commandments still hold firm. Jesus does not make the law or Judaism obsolete. In fact, Jesus himself said, I have not come to replace the law, but to fulfill it. The new law affirmed the old and reinforces, not destroys it. The word written on our hearts is written on the hearts of Jews, Christians, Muslims, and other followers of other religions, all human beings. God does not discriminate. We have a common word for that voice from within us that tells us what's right and what's wrong. We call it conscience. Merriam-Webster defines conscience as the sense of consciousness of the moral goodness or blameworthiness of one's own conduct, conduct, intentions, or character, together with a feeling of obligation to do right or be good. Sigmund Freud said conscience is the part of the superego in psychoanalysis that transmits commands and admonitions to the ego. The conscience tells us what to do. An even more revered authority than Freud, Jiminy Cricket, sang about the conscience in Walt Disney's Pinocchio. Jiminy sang to the puppet who wanted to become a real boy. He sang, When you get in trouble and you don't know right from wrong, give a little whistle, give a little whistle. When you meet temptation and the urge is very strong, give a little whistle, give a little whistle. And if you start to slide, give a little whistle, give a little whistle. And always let your conscience be your guide. Take the straight and narrow path. And if you start to slide, give a little whistle, give a little whistle. And always let your conscience be your guide. And always let your conscience be your guide. Now, if you think that references to Freud or Jiminy Cricket trivializes God's word written on our hearts, maybe think again. Conscience may seem like a psychological term rather than a religious or spiritual one, but it is where God's spirit touches the human heart. Martin Luther wrote, There can be no better instruction than that every man who is to deal with his neighbor to follow the Ten Commandments. Whatsoever you would that others should do to you, do you also unto them. And love your neighbor as yourself. If these laws were always followed, then everything would instruct and arrange itself. Then no law books, nor courts, nor judicial actions would be required. All things would quietly and simply be set to rights, for everyone's heart and conscience would guide them. Jiminy Cricket couldn't have said it or sang it any better. Every human being 
in the world. Every child in your family, every person that you work with, everybody in your neighborhood, every politician campaigning for your vote, including you, whether they act that way or not, has an inborn knowledge of God and an inborn knowledge of the moral law of God. This means, among other things, the implications are many, that when we are speaking to people about our faith and about why we live the way we live and what God expects of this culture and society, we're not starting from scratch with those people. There are profound things already in their hearts that God may make use of to help them see what we are saying. There's absolutely no reason for us to restrict ourselves in the way that we determine what is right and what is wrong. It is always profitable to turn to the words of the Ten Commandments for a refresher course in God's law. Then we consult with that voice that comes from within, where God's law is written on our hearts. And finally, we can look at the example of love, compassion, and forgiveness that Jesus lived out. Put these all together, and we have the recipe for a moral and faithful life. It's not that hard. The moral universe may seem complicated and confusing, but ask yourself, are there really many times when you really don't know what is right and what is wrong? Well, if that happens, just give a little whistle. You'll figure it out. Now, doing what is right instead of what is wrong, well, that's another matter. Amen. Thanks for joining me today. May God bless you and keep you. May God's light shine upon you and look, and may God look upon you with favor and give you peace.